So a grand-aunt of my mom's, uh, well, sorry, grand-aunt of mine, so an aunt of my mom's, uh, she used to live in a village called Kilfinnan. I shouldn't have named it, but I just did, so there you go. Uh, Kilfinnan, is, it's a really small little village. Uh, it's kind of, I don't know, a retirement village. There, there are very few people there. It was, I, I always felt it was like a ghost town. Whenever we'd go visit her, you just wouldn't see anyone. You just wouldn't see any people at all. There was a shop there. It's like the saloon doors just going... nobody around here and like it was, it was it was such a kind of a lazy town well, not the people but i presume there were people there but it's such a kind of a quiet town that like, the smoke would come out of the chimneys and just kind of hang over the over the town like so you always have this kind of this smell of uh, of coal burnt coal just kind of hanging there it was the strangest kind of thing so we'd go in anyway and she 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 when she was a, she was 100 years of age when she passed but she'd always talk she'd always talk about yesteryear and days gone by and how things were uh, when, when she was young and, and growing up on, on the farm and then having to you know wake up in the morning and milk the cows and feed the chickens and load slurry into buckets and then get your rubber get your, your leather belt and put your books on it and head off to school uphill to school the five mile hike and then uh, go to school and get bet and then and then come home and it's an uphill struggle to come home again I never knew how that one worked um, uphill home again and then go outside and milk the cows and uh, foot turf and turn hay and, and a tough life and, uh, and it was just interesting how whenever herself and my, or my, and or my parents would talk about these, these, these they kind of maybe romanticised a small bit but whenever they talk about this era they'd always kind of add something along the lines of, you know, thank God, thank God things have changed, thank God things have moved on. I'd never want that for my own children. I think this is a natural desire in, in all parents that you want something better for your own children than you had. You want your kids to have it easier. You know, I had to struggle, I had to do this, I had to build everything up and it was hard and it was failure and all that kind of thing. I don't want my kids to have to go through that. I want them to have an, an easier run of things. <clears throat> and that's, that's a... a a good desire in that we, we don't want those we love to suffer. Great. That, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. The flip side of it is if we get our way, what can happen then is that people are deprived of, dare I call it, the, the, the necessary struggle. The necessary struggle. Where we have to learn to fight. And we have to learn to pray. Which isn't easy. And we have to learn to be responsible, which isn't always easy. And we have to learn to persevere, which isn't always easy and requires failure along the way somewhere. We have to learn to be responsible, which means failing along the way somewhere as well. And, to, and manning up and doing what you can do to make up for what you've gotten wrong. You know, so in, 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 our, in our life as, as, as people, uh, psychologically, sociologically, we, the, the struggle is necessary for growth. The struggle is necessary for growth. Even like you think of basic uh, biology or basic plants, they have to like burst out of a seed and push their whole way up through the soil and then get a bit of light and then off they go. But there's a struggle from the beginning. If a seed, if a seed can't do that, you become nourishment for the other seeds. Uh, it's a bit cannibalistic, isn't it? <laughs> but, but like the struggle, even chickens, let's, let's, I don't want to sidetrack too much, but it is quite incredible. Like in a little egg, you've got this whole being... Uh, just growing and consuming what's in the egg and then eventually it gets to the point where it has to bust its way out. Imagine! Like, 
You're for, you, no one has ever described anything to you. You're in this little shell. And, and eventually a point comes where I think I'm going to bust my way out of this. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's, it, but the, and then those who can't, the chicks who can't, wouldn't have been strong enough to survive anyway. So the struggle, the struggle is like it's, it's part of life. And it's a part we don't like, but it's a necessary part. Or we will never grow in virtue. And I don't like saying this because I also have to live this. And you know, the, the struggle, is, it's not nice. It's not pleasant. But you'll never learn patience unless your patience is tried. You'll never learn actually love unless your love is tried. You'll never learn perseverance unless you're pushed to your limits and maybe slightly beyond them. We, we'll never grow. Why am I saying all this? In, in, in the gospel today, we have this uh, reaction to yesterday's gospel. So yesterday's gospel is just, it's so pointed and clear. It's John, John 6.52 and on, where the Lord speaks about the Eucharist. And five times he just nails it, one after the other. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They ask. This is yesterday's gospel. And Jesus says, I tell you solemnly, if you do not eat the flesh, the Son of Man, drink his blood, you will not have life within you. Anyone who does eat my flesh and drink my blood has eternal life, and I shall raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in him. As I, who am sent by the living Father, myself draw life from the Father. So whoever eats me will draw life from me. He's just nailing one after the other. Sentence after sentence, you must eat the Eucharist, and the Eucharist is me. It is me. And you can imagine how like right from the beginning, right? So the, the reaction right after he says this is this is intolerable language. So those who heard it in his day, out of his mouth, said this is, no, you, we, we can't eat flesh. That's, well, not human flesh. That's just wrong. So the, the, the reaction immediately, this is intolerable language. How could anyone accept it? Okay, so right from the beginning, there have been struggles with this concept of the Eucharist. How do we get our heads around it? How do, we, how do we defend it? How do we explain it? Even if it is true. Is it true? Is that what he meant? Could it be? Could it be? Because maybe, maybe we got this wrong. Maybe it's symbolic. I don't know. Like, maybe, there's a, maybe there's an easier way. Maybe we can just ignore it. Let's just push John chapter 6 off to the side there. Because this is, this is difficult. So there's kind of a struggle there with this teaching about the Eucharist. But it's, it's just so crystal clear. The Lord, I mean, out of the mouth of the Lord himself. But there's, yeah, a struggle. A struggle with it. So what do we do? People start to leave him. There's this guy. Is he teaching cannibalism? Whatever it is, I don't want any part of it. And Jesus says to the twelve, how about you? Will you go away too? So we have this, this treasure of the Eucharist, which is, dare I say, impossible to get our heads around, which is fine. It's fine. That it's, a, it's, it's a mystery. It remains a mystery. Mysteries aren't there to be solved. How it can be fully Jesus and yet have the properties of bread, no idea. Well, if Jesus says bread, that's, if Jesus says it's him, that's fine by me. He knows more than me. What about you? Will you go away too? And Simon Peter answers, Lord, who shall we go to? Who shall we go to? You have the message of eternal life. 
Where else are we going to go? We could, we, we could just kind of ignore this whole Eucharist thing. We could just kind of push it off to the side. We could pretend that he didn't say it, pretend it doesn't exist. We could try and rationalize it so much that it ceases to be a mystery. Just call it table fellowship and we gather around and share a bit of bread and it's you know, representative of, of the, the, the Passover and so on. Just take the mystery out of it and make it something that we can understand. But that's not what he said. It's not what he taught. So this, this, this struggle uh, with, with the Eucharist, the struggle of what, and even more broadly, the struggle of what the church teaches in general, it's necessary. It's necessary for us to get kind of stuck into it and say, Lord, I, I don't really get this. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just don't get it. What is this whole Eucharist thing? And how am I supposed to relate to it or, or, or receive it? or What's it supposed to do? It's like uh, Anything is better than just pushing the mystery away, pretending it doesn't exist. Struggling with it. Like that's, I mean, if you think of the, the first centuries of the church, trying to get their heads around even just Jesus. Uh, did he have one nature? Was he just divine, acting human on occasion? Was he just human with kind of divine grace every now and again? Was he the incarnation of the Father? How did it all work? They had to thrash it out. And it was, it was tough going. There were people smacking each other, even back then. Uh, St. Nicholas. That man is underestimated. <laughs> but, but, yeah, so that there were struggles even back then. But then what they ended up with, they ended up with a, with, with a bit of clarity of thought as to what we actually believe, who Jesus actually was. And because then he's actually truly God and truly man at the same time, then what he says is true. My flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I live in him. God has said it. God has spoken. His word is true. Yes, we may struggle with it, but we ask the Lord today that in that struggle for the tr to understand the truth, to know the truth, that we may always have that humility of heart, that, Lord, I don't have to understand everything before I can engage in it. I don't even have to understand uh, a person or technology or things like that before I, I engage with them, before I use them. So, Lord, grant that I can love you in the Eucharist without understanding it, without having, without having to understand it. I, need, I, I understand what I need to. This is Jesus, because he says so. That's enough. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the message of eternal life. And we believe, we know that you are the Holy One of God.